Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Maduni Christian, joined again today by Ned Russell as we discuss the Ukraine war's continuing impact on aviation and aerospace and Ned's field trip to the ISTAC conference. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you? Hey, Medus. Good to be back. Yeah, welcome back from the ISTAC conference in San Diego. Um, hope, I, I, I know we've been talking throughout the week, but I, I imagine it was a good conference. It was. It's, uh, you know, there's, well, <laughs> I want to say there was there was a lot of uh, optimism, but that's probably the wrong word given with state of affairs in the world. Uh, but, you know, the, we'll talk about this later, but there is a lot of money chasing aircraft out there in the world, despite geopolitics and everything else. But we'll get to that. We will get to that. But first, geopolitics. So this is now week two of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the um, implications to the aviation and aerospace industries is becoming even more apparent and more widespread than originally thought. Um, and we, we still, I don't think, have figured it. We still don't know the full extent of it. But, Ned, I think one of the more interesting things, so, secondary stories that have come out of this, if we consider the closure of airspace, the primary sort of headline getting um, story for us is what happens to leased aircraft. And um, as we've, as we all know, um, a, a large percentage of Russia's d- domestic in-service fleet is leased and Western aircraft of the, I believe it's 950 Western aircraft in operation Western meaning Boeing, Airbus, and um, Embraer, Embraer, and Bombardier. CRJs, right, and ATRs uh, in service. Nine, 900 or so in service are Western aircraft, and of those 700-odd are leased. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing, Ned. I, I'd be curious to hear what the folks at iStat said about it, but the EU has given lessors until March 28th to repossess these aircraft. Absolutely. So that was uh, arguably the best attended ISTAT panel I've ever uh, been to. And I've been to the ISTAT conference going on six, seven years now. Uh, so they, they, Lester's were talking about the implications of, of, yeah, their aircraft being there. And the general consensus is, is if the plane's not out at this point, it's probably not coming out. Right. And, you know, there was a sense, of, a sense of acceptance amongst the leasing community and the financing community at ISTEP that that's just sort of what was going to be. There didn't seem to be any panic. You know, a lot of people, so I, I missed this earlier, is there was a lot of fear that suddenly the 600-some-odd uh, Western air, Western-owned aircraft in Russia would leave the country and flood the market, which could then depress prices, leasing uh, lease rates, prices for used aircraft, because suddenly you've got yeah, 600 narrow bodies, wide bodies, just suddenly, boom, on the market. But that is not the case. So there was a sigh of relief around that. But now it's the fact is those planes are probably not coming out, if ever. And we should back up and, and note that the Kremlin has advised Russian carriers not to fly abroad, except to countries that are uh, sort of friendly to its policies. Uh, for fear but given of- that, I should say Aeroflot has suspended all international operations. Right. So... Even even though they could fly to quote unquote friendly countries, they have suspended. Uh, yeah, and that countries. that's not. I mean, there. That's not to say all friendly countries are um, willing to fall afoul of the Western sanctions. So even if they are friendly, they they might want to c- comply. But anyway, the Kremlin has banned all has requested all, required all Russian air 
airlines not to operate abroad for fear of their aircraft being seized. Now, this is a country of 11 time zones, right? And and without, this is not uh, 1920, this is not the 1917 revolution when the Trans-Siberian Express was, was the, the latest word in knitting together a vast empire. Uh, without air travel, Russia's, Russia's internal politics could get a lot more complicated, but that's Absolutely. kind of beyond the scope of our conversation. But just the fact that how do you how do you govern a country of eleven time zones without aircraft? Absolutely, Stephen Udvarhazy of Airlease brought that very topic up and noted the number of time zones and that you know Russian manufacturers do not make any aircraft larger than a hundred seats anymore, so they need Western aircraft to be able to fly from Moscow to Vladivostok. Yeah, you know. And, and you, oh, sorry. Go on. No, and any new there's, I mean, any new aircraft is years away. And, and frankly, planes like uh, the C919 in China, which doesn't have the range, but and the MC21 in Russia use Western technology. So yeah. it's not like even if those planes were ready to go and had the range, they could just take up the pick up the slack. They're not. They, they're hit by the sanctions as well. Right, and one that is in service and has been adopted by some um, non-Russian airlines is the Sukhoi Superjet or SSJ100. Um, Again, a hundred seat plane, though. A hundred seat plane with Western engines. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, the technology. I mean, the so the Soviet Union did have uh, the technology to build uh, wide body aircraft at that time, but all right, that... there's fantastic aerospace engineers in China and Russia, or or there were, but they're not building planes today. Right. So it, it's. Yeah, it, it doesn't help the governing of a country immediately. It takes, you know, even if, if Putin wanted to get a new plane flying, it's going to take years to get that, to get a plane up in the air with home, with, you know, Russian-built technology. It's not something they can do right away. And it's not just the engines. I mean, modern aircraft are so computerized that, uh, where you know, that if, if Russia could tomorrow, let's just say, hypothetically, Russia could tomorrow turn a military um propulsion factory over to commercial propulsion let's just say that could happen tomorrow the, the where are they going to source the semiconductors for all the electronics in, in a modern aircraft and the avionics in, in a modern aircraft they're not that, that's, yeah. the, that's the answer so the other net i think the other fascinating secondary story for us our headline for us is that you know mro uh boeing airbus ge Embraer, a growing list of Western companies who said they will no longer provide aftermarket support for aircraft in Russia. Um, so it's not just, so they may be able to keep the, all these leased aircraft. Let's say they've commandeered all these leased aircraft, the 700 odd leased aircraft. Uh, but they, those aircraft will have to go in for maintenance soon. You know, and not just, I mean, not, I'm not talking heavy checks. They'll have to go in for line maintenance. They'll need light bulbs. They'll need, uh, um, you know, filters and, and things that uh, that you just can't go down to the local Napa car park to get an oil filter for a, for a, for a, a, a wouldn't it be Le, the, the Leningrad car parts or the Volga car parts? Uh, <laughs> I don't do know. It? Forgive me. I don't know any Russian chains of auto parts stores. I just think of the Napa down the street, and I'm a very frequent uh, frequent uh, shopper there. So uh, excuse Absolutely. me. Um, <laughs> So Lester's actually that that came up. I mean, that is a concern amongst the leasing community that even if if well, if this conflict drags on for an extended period and, you know, no, everyone is concerned about the loss of life in Ukraine, what's going there. But 
the longer Russia is sanctioned off from the West and, you know, aircraft are not maintained to Western standards or not to, but just to standards, whatever the standards are, yeah. you know, that is a concern that we could end up with, even if Russia rejoined the international economic system in a year, all of these aircraft will forever be only in Russia because they will not have been maintained based on the manufacturer set, you know, recommendations. So there, there are two potential possibilities that was brought up is one that some aircraft are sacrificed to be parted out to support the rest of the fleet, which actually seemed like the option people liked better at yeah. stat simply because that means the planes would be maintained to some semblance of standards the other option is that they find alternative replacement parts as things need checks, but those would not be those would not be approved parts, and that would essentially render whatever aircraft is maintained that way a you know it is in the Russian market and it's never leaving again. Well, it's uninsurable. Don't want it back. Yeah, yeah, it's un- Oh yeah. Well, so, most of these planes are uninsurable at this point. Right. Like it's yeah. But you know, I, I've I've talked to some folks about the parting out scenario, which is you know, the best case scenario, not just for these aircraft, but for the safety of, of Russian air passengers. That they're using genuine parts, not aftermarket, or not, um, you know, whatever, random machine-tooled parts. Um, right. <clears throat> but, you know, so I've, I've, so what I've heard, and I, Ned, I want to see if you've heard this too, is that it'll essentially take two aircraft to be pulled out of service in the long term for every one that is operational. So, um, in other words, a route that would have uh, sort of a, a, a fleet planning that would have required one aircraft now would require three or in a few months will require three because two will have to be parked to be parted out. Uh, so that that's also interesting. They, I mean, you're right. These, these aircraft can never return to the global leasing market um, because either they'll have, been repla- have substandard parts in them flying, which we hope not for the safety of Russia. Right. And that's huge. The safety implication. We don't want, you know, further loss of life, uh, you know, for civilians getting on a plane to fly, fly around. Um, You know, I haven't heard a specific number to how many planes might be needed for parting out, but there's talk of, you know, multiple planes being needed to pull out to support the Russian fleet. And of course, the longer this goes on, the more likely that's going to happen. And it's, yeah, it, it becomes a a big issue. I mean, the, the big question mark everyone talked about was the length of Russia being separated off from the rest of the world economically and every other way is um, going to make the ramifications much greater uh, and deeper. And, you know, there are other uh, other you know sort of secondary things. The flow of raw materials to the West is also a concern. I mean, Russia is the largest supplier of titanium in the world. And Dave Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing, this was you know, and, uh, last month had warned that suppliers are in um, are in a good place or have enough supplies in the near to medium term, but in the long term, it could become a concern. Absolutely. Now, interestingly enough, thing- did you know? <laughs> did you know, Ned, that in the in the '60s, the CIA built the um, uh, that Lockheed? Oh my God, what's it called? The Black Hawk, Black whatever. That that super fast stealth, super. Sonic aircraft, reconnaissance aircraft, was built with Russian t- titanium, bought through a shell company by the CIA. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> At the height I of the Cold War. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> will we be resorting to these kind of shenanigans again? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, who knows? Uh, whatever administration is caught doing that would definitely face uh, political ramifications, one would think. Um, one last point I wanted to make on the, the leased aircraft is that, you know, lessers pretty much accept that at this point, you know, most of these aircraft are going to be going to insurance claims, and those insurance claims are probably going to be litigated. So the leasing yeah. community is bracing for, you know, leasing and legal and finance, uh, you know, insurance claims on these aircraft go, could stretch out for years. Yeah. Even if Russia reopens, it's still going to be a claim. So, yeah. So it's the Lockheed Blackbird. Excuse me for blanking on that. I had to look it up. Um, and while we're talking about Ukraine and, and Russia, I mean, 10% of the world's oil is potentially going off offline uh, very shortly, if or at least if sanctions, um, if the U.S. And, and the EU actually go through with these sanctions against Russia. And that has caused oil prices to go up through the roof. Um, although they're falling back to sanity now. Um, yes. now did, did you hear much of a, a, from ISTAT um, about oil prices? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of concern. Uh, on the airline side, not so much the financing side. Uh, airlines just talked about, we had uh, uh, you know, Jude Bricker, CEO of Sun Country, and he was quick to, quick to caveat that you know, they are a small carrier in the U.S. and should not be taken as, as you know, a global standard. But talked that you know the higher fuel prices go you know it just doesn't make sense for them to be running their their schedules as hard as they can their planes as hard as they can because it just costs so much so mm-hmm. you know they've already started to par back the schedule outside of peak periods the emphasis on, on you know peak is still going as, as hard as it can but uh, you know i heard the same from united airlines jerry latterman their cfo and pam hendry their their treasurer that you know that historically they've been able to pass on about 60 percent of fuel costs to passengers but you know this is of course a different situation we've got a war on the footstep of europe we're still coming out of the pandemic it's a question and you the economic situation inflation is already rising will people will be willing to pay that much more for tickets and if they won't the alternative is to full capacity so you know and, there's yeah yeah and that last point is an interesting point as well one we have yet to consider really is <clears throat> um, excuse me 40 percent of europe's gas natural gas in some countries Roughly one third to forty percent of Europe's natural gas comes from Russia, and um, gas prices is, are also rising now. We, as European airlines plan their, I know ISTAT's an American conference, but as you, uh, as European pl- airlines plan their summer schedules, I wonder if they're taking into account the fact that uh, people are spending forty percent more to heat their homes and, and fill their gas tanks, their cars, or even, you know by by agri- uh, consumer goods because you know the cargo implications as well i mean their the, the cargo prices are going up so will people have as much discretionary income this summer to buy a, a fare to mallorca and that's a, that's a big question mark uh you know one airline executive told me that you know airlines can weather high uh, fuel prices for a couple months if it goes on for a year, it's a whole different story. Yeah. So it's re- it goes back to the question of how long is this going to go on? If this is if we're in it for the long term, there's going to be serious ramifications for the summer. Yeah. If we're not, um, it, it could be a momentary blip. Yeah. And one other thing to keep an eye on, which is not exactly central to our industry, but central to this concept, this idea of discretionary income, is that Russia and Ukraine together export thirty percent of the world's wheat. So. Um, uh, food prices are expected to rise precipitously if if um, farmers in both countries, or particularly the Ukraine, cannot plant this spring. 
So, um, and edible oils, a big exporter of edible oils. So once again, if people have to pay more what for- What are bread, edible oils? It's what you fry food with. <laughs> you, okay. Ukraine's a big exporter of sunflower oil, which is oh, okay. a vegetable oil. And, um, uh, you know, if people are paying more for food to heat their houses, to buy gas for their cars, to get a dishwasher because it's cost more to transport for- can't buy semiconductors for their phones. Their iPhones are going up. Will they, will, when they have all these, when people, whatever, when all of us have all these priorities for things we need for our daily lives and all of those prices are going up, when will they start to affect uh, our, our desire and our ability to buy plane tickets, especially for Ab- leisure and VFR travel? Absolutely. And remember, we're in a recovery that is dominated by leisure and VFR travelers, and they are arguably the most price sensitive. So there will come, I mean, I, I don't think anyone believes we're at that point yet, but there will come a point where people are like, ooh, I'm spending, yeah, 40% more for gas and, you know, bread and, and edible oils. Like, it's, uh, you know, can I really afford this, uh, you know, to go to Mallorca and go see grandma and, go, you know, to do all these things this summer? So, you know, that's going to become real. And, and people recognize that that could happen this summer. Though, I want to say it, I said people were saying, like, even if this summer is hit, the pent-up demand is not expected to go away. Mm, interesting. It'll just get pushed back. Right. What was going to be 20, you know, hot normal summer of 2022 becomes hot normal summer of 2023, which, as much as I hate to say it, I mean, it's because we've all been living through this pandemic, is you know, definitely a possibility that's on the table at this point. Yeah. I actually saw a report from an analyst, I can't remember who, who said that uh, his belief was the airline um, recovery is pushed back a year already. I mean, um, so so instead of the 2023 full recovery to 2019, it's possibly 2024, which actually, you know, tracks with what IATA was saying a few months ago. Uh, Absolutely. And that's what I heard from several, uh, several people at iStat was that, you know, they haven't really changed their overall outlook that the recovery will um you know i like you said iota is 2024 most people were still saying 2024 uh airbus executive who was there his name i was blanking said you know he was thinking late 2023 a few weeks ago and now he's thinking mid 2024 you know so it's actually falling in line with those iota forecasts that you know we might have thought were a little too pessimistic just a few months ago uh so yeah we might actually be back there instead of um yeah well, so, I mean, we shall see. Ned, let's squeeze in a quick break right here. And we're back. So, Ned, um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, earnings. <laughs> always earnings. There's always earnings <laughs> in Airline Weekly. But this this one was kind of an interesting one and sort of a sad one. It was uh, Cathay Pacific, Hong Kong-based carrier, uh, put out its full year 2021 earnings. And you covered it for us. Uh, what have, what have they said? Are things looking better or worse? And well, you know, they say they are optimistic. So in in a statement put out by Catholic Chairman Patrick Healy, you know, he expects confidence in the recovery, confidence in in you know Hong Kong as a global aviation hub, which I know we have all raised questions about. I've questioned about because of the strict restrictions that they've had there due to COVID. You know, but he said he has absolute confidence that Hong Kong will come back as a hub and the continuation of Cathay Pacific as an airline hmm. going into the because we, we've wondered because look at the numbers. They are flying two percent of their pre-COVID passenger schedule Unbelievable. until restrictions ease two percent, two percent. 
Wow. Tiny. Um, cargo's at a third of pre-COVID levels, so it's still, they're, they're way down. But, but cargo <laughs> revenues are higher, right? Cargo revenues are not actually higher. Oh, interesting. Though they are, the, they are the bright spot, being right. they're only down um, a few percentage points compared to 2019. <laughs> so they, they're down, but they're, um, they're, they're the best part of Cathay Pacific's balance sheet uh, by far. Hmm. You know, the, the airline, and this is an interesting point, I thought, they continue to take delivery of new aircraft. Despite most of their fleet being grounded, 37% of their fleet is parked outside of Hong Kong right now. Yet wow. they are looking forward to taking eight A321neos and three A351,000s this year, which they say they need uh, to continue to renew the fleet and be ready for when that recovery does come to Hong Kong. Wow. You know, that, that's that's interesting. Um, it tracks with something um, both the CEO of AirCap and... Um, Stephen Advarhazi said very early in the pandemic, they were talking like April, May of 2020, um, when it, when everyone thought the world was ending and the airline industry was, as we knew it was done. Um, those two voices, among others, said that you know this is going to be a time. The airlines are going to spend this time when they're they're not um, flying very much to renew their fleets and order next generation aircraft. And I, we've seen that throughout the pandemic. Ned, what, what I think is really interesting here is that Cathay Pacific, which has barely flown at all, I mean, 2% of its capacity, 37% of its fleet, as you said, parked outside Hong Kong, is, is actually living true to those words by those, those less, uh, heads of lessors that, uh, that uh, the pandemic would provide time for fl- airlines to renew their fleets. So. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking to exactly that, Cathay returned five aircraft to older aircraft to lessers in January, February, and they have over 10 more coming off lease later this year. Now, they didn't say whether all 10 of those would be going back, but they are definitely uh, they are definitely moving forward with renewing their fleet, even when they're flying two percent of pre-COVID passenger schedule. I mean, it's it's just crazy, the numbers. Wow. Um, on the revenue side, you know, they, they lost money like everybody else, but it wasn't as bad. It was only $703 million uh, U.S. dollars in 2021. Uh, I mean, in part, part of that is they, many staff are out on yeah. furlough and, you know, <laughs> there's, they've cut costs and, and stuff, but it wasn't as, as deep of a loss as I expected. Well, when you don't fly very much, you're not spending very much. So <laughs> That's the old line from Allegiant, you know, right. uh, <laughs> we, we're not flying the planes, we're not spending money on them. Yeah, exactly. All right, Ned, let's uh, let's leave it right there. This has been an interesting podcast, unfortunately. Um, you know, but uh, but we are uh, we have our eye on the Ukraine situation and all the, the many effects on uh, the aerospace and air- aviation industries. We were always interested to hear from you, our listeners. If you have any um, suggestions, if I got the blackbird wrong, reach me at mu at skiff.com, reach Ned at er at skiff.com. And that's a wrap, Ned. Thanks for joining us. Bye, Madhu. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge Podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. And of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>